On the Line, live on ESPN 1067. Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goetz and Carter Bird. You're on the line here in the Auburn Network studio. Carter Bird solo in the show today. Jacob Guns is on the road doing some Lee Scott Academy baseball on AU100. I think they get rolling here in about an hour if you want to make sure you are uh, keeping track of that. But, uh, yeah, w- welcome in to On the Line on this beautiful Monday. It's very clear and sunny outside uh, after a weekend where we finally got some decent weather. Uh, it felt like for the first time in a long, long time. We've got a great show for you here today. Uh, we're going to start off with, we've got some audio here uh, from Braves today. Our good friends, Ben Taylor, host of Auburn Apalachia, um this morning, and Lindsey Crosby, host of MLB Locked On, or Locked On MLB Prospects, uh, both do a podcast and uh, do some writing for Braves today. Uh, they talked about the Braves' sweep, uh, back-to-back sweeps of the Reds and Royals and previewed their upcoming series with the San Diego Padres. Uh, we're going to throw to that here in just one second. Uh, but, yeah, it's been a great week. Uh, the Braves are rolling. Uh, it's going to be an exciting time as we get deeper into the Major League Baseball season. So let's throw to that right now, here's Braves Today with Ben Taylor and Lindsey Crosby. Braves Today and Braves Today podcast. Find out more at bravestoday.com where you can get all of your updates about the Atlanta Braves, who they're playing, who they played, coming off a sweep over the weekend against Kansas City before heading to San Diego for a three-game series against the Padres. Ben Taylor with you along with Lindsey Crosby in the Braves Today podcast. And how sweet it is is back-to-back sweeps. You can't get much better than that. Lindsay and I were talking about it. I mean, we're sure it happened probably in June or July of last year because it happened. But still, right now the Braves are the hottest team in baseball and one of the fun teams to watch. Oh, my gosh. This is uh, – you've seen – Everything that this lineup does in that series, right? You had the inning where Ronald Acuna gets on to lead off the game, and then Olsen and Riley both hit home runs. Mm-hmm. You've seen contributions from guys up and down the lineup. Ozzie Albies hits one. Sean Murphy has a series, not just a game. And and then the defense showed up as well. And so just been an incredibly fun series. This is what winning baseball feels like. And it, I almost feel like we're a little bit spoiled because we have a team that is consistently, the floor is so consistently high with right. the Atlanta Braves. And even when they have an off night on pitching or on offense, it's still enough to win a game. Not just that, is everybody has improved their hitting at the plate, except for Marcelo Zuna, who last time we talked and we visited on the last spot, he was batting uh, .089, and now he is down to .072, if I'm not mistaken. So he is the only one that has literally gone backwards while everybody else continues to move forward, one of which, and you mentioned, mentioned him just a minute ago, Murphy, who is absolutely raking right now with what he is doing at the plate, but he's also doing it defensively. Yeah, so he puts 12 balls in play during the Royals series. Nine of those were hard-hit balls, which is 95 miles an hour or higher, 
eight of those were greater than 105 miles an hour. So he's crushing the ball and they're falling. He hits a home run and two doubles in game two. Uh, he also did that against Cincinnati. So he is one of three players that have a game with a home run and two doubles for the Braves twice in the same season. And he did it in the same week. Austin Riley and Matt Olson did it last year. And then you have to go all the way back to 2009 where Brian McCann did it. Chipper Jones in 2003, Marcus Giles in 2003, Chipper Jones in 2001. So like, and, and this is for a whole season. He did this in a week. So wow. Sean Murphy is on an absolute heater right now. And then defensively, he grades out uh, very, very well. When, I mean, in framing, pop time, he would be top 20 in pop time, but opposing runners don't want to test him. He's actually mm-hmm. one, uh, one stolen base attempt to second short of qualifying on the leaderboards because they don't even want to test him. Well, and he would have got another call stealing this weekend. Uh, Grissom ends up dropping the ball as it, it is uh, the, the runner was dead to rights. He had him, uh, caught him up in the heel of the glove and kicked off and kicked over to Albies. Otherwise, that runner's probably out. So that's another call stealing now. Ended up not hurting him still. Uh, you got to think what could have been if a complete game was put together. And let's just call it what it is. I mean, you got the he's he's not necessarily a rookie, but I'm still calling Grissom a rookie. I mean, he yeah. had so many so many appearances last year uh, having to fill in for all these due to the injury. Uh, but still, uh, Grissom has he probably has not felt that cheese coming from behind home plate in quite a while. So it uh, ended up handcuffing him a little bit. You know, another guy that is doing well and he continues to do well is Acuna. The respect for him. I call it no run on Ronnie whenever he's out in the field. Uh, not to mention uh, he is doing great from the plate. He's able to put, he's able to get himself on on base and you even saw it during this Royals game and that allowed him to get on late in the game he hits a slow roller to third they end up hurrying a little too too much and you know they make a bad throw he gets on I know it's due to an error but that's the kind of thing that he causes havoc whenever he's on the base pads and when he's at the plate yeah he is the closest thing you have in baseball unlike football where it's a we have to know what we have to be aware of this guy in every single play he can impact games defensively he can impact games with his arm he can do it with his legs he's got six stolen bases uh three home runs on the season again i still think he's capable of a 40 40 season a uh, little bit of a heater on the bat he'll be back on pace for that mm-hmm. but uh just something where you can see he faces premium velocity he takes a role chapman gets a double off of him in the eighth inning uh it's it's something where he's not necessarily trying to always hit a home run it feels like it's a little bit of an evolution in his offensive approach He's like, I just need to get on because Matt Olson or Austin Riley are going to drive me in. I think just about every single inning of baseball I've watched this year, every single game, he's scored somehow in the first inning. Mm. And it's just because he understands all I have to do is get on base. I can put myself in scoring position and then they're going to bring me in. And the Braves lineup is so much better because of it. I call it the Chipper Jones approach to hitting is what he's doing right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, that first swing, he's allowed to have free and free. To, to be able to do what he wants to with it. And you can tell he's trying to get his money's worth on that first swing. That second strike, he's probably toning it down a little bit. And then the third strike, you talked about it, uh, you and I, before we came on the pod, that uh, with Araldis Chapman, it was just, what, 92, 94 exit velocity, but he still was able to yank it down the third baseline and get a double out of it just by putting the head of the bat out there and trying to make contact and get a runner on base. Yeah, you know, and it's it's he's not trying to do too much. He has steals but he's not being overly thrown out uh i think he's six of eight on on stolen bases Mm -hmm. right now and one of the two was a little bit of an iffy kind of thing and so 
He's he's doing everything right. And the people that have complained in the past about maybe a lapse in focus or watching a ball that he hit, things like that, none of that is there. This is a fully locked-in Ronald Acuna. And we have not seen this since, I think, maybe 2019 when he had that mm-hmm. fantastic year. And if, if this is what we get all year, it's going to be a fantastic season. What I love about the Braves right now, Lindsay, is they're taking advantage of what I call extra outs. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever you see, uh, you know, somebody boot a ball in the infield, or you, you saw it from the right fielder uh, that Olson was able to get a triple out of, I still kind of disagree with that scoring. I think that probably should have been a single with an error. Single uh, error, yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know what? I'll take. He'll take it for sure. I mean, it goes down as a triple in the box score. Yeah, Olson's happy. The pitcher is not because that means those <laughs> runs were earned runs. The pitcher's right. not happy about it. Yeah, and so uh, you know, as as Atlanta's able to get the sweep, back to back sweeps. Now they head to San Diego, and if you just look at the numbers as as far as comparables, uh, right now the Braves look like they should be winning this run scored. They they lead the Padres uh, hits. They lead the Padres by over twenty hits. By the way, uh, one thirty two to one eleven. Uh, they they're tied up in doubles. Uh, neither it, that'll change today because that number has not been updated. It says no triples. We just talked about Olsen. He's actually got a triple. That should say one, at least. Uh, they lead the Padres in home runs. They lead the Padres in runs batted in. They lead the Padres in stolen bases. But yet, the Padres always seem to have Atlanta's number. Yeah, and you have a couple saving graces in this series, right? One, you don't have to deal with Fernando Tatis. He's not nope. due back until the day after the series is over, and you're done playing them for the season until you, unless you meet them in the playoffs. So mm-hmm. you dodge a bullet there. Uh, you don't have to face you, Darvish. That crafty veteran just seems to kind of have some stuff against Atlanta. You saw Atlanta even struggle a little bit with Zach Greinke today. They didn't mm-hmm. put up a ton of runs on Zach Greinke because those crafty veterans somehow can do their thing. They've got uh, Ryan Weathers, Blake Snell, Nick Martinez. And then the other saving grace here is you have Max Freed back. You know, mm-hmm. he is he is the starter for Monday. Uh, so you get him back in, in the rotation. Uh they said he's, he's fine, no limitations on what he can do. He can do everything. And so you have to hope he's back to the Max Free that we know and love. And that gives you a little bit of an of a emotional lift as you try to get revenge on that series loss. Rested arm, as they even said, a lot of the rehab that he did had nothing to do with even pitching. They had him doing sprints. They had him doing uh, everything from um, running basically sideways, trying, just making sure they're testing everything as far as a hamstring was concerned, mm-hmm. uh, doing slides and everything else. So he seems to be, as you just said, they, they have mentioned no limitations. Some other people that are limited, and I thought we would probably see him back in the San Diego series. We're not going to be able to see him, and that's uh, Darno as well as Harris uh, still out Darno. I didn't realize this until you mentioned it. I knew it had a couple of concussions. I didn't realize this was his fourth, so they're trying to be careful with him. Yeah, they're being extra cautious. He's not been cleared for baseball activities yet. He is coming in and getting treatment. It's not something where he's confined at home or anything, but Mm -hmm. uh, not quite ready. And then you mentioned Michael Harris hasn't been cleared for batting practice yet, so you probably won't get him back for this series. But I put it in the takeaways on Sunday. Sam Hilliard has played pretty well in Michael Harris's place. He started seven of the eight games that Atlanta's played without Michael Harris. He reached base in all but one of those games. He's 8-23. Uh, four of those eight hits are extra bases. So offensively, he's doing his job. Defensively, he's putting up some great plays in the outfield, some diving catches, highlight plays. Uh, and it's it's something where when Michael Harris is back, which take your time, we don't want something to linger all season, but when, when Michael Harris is back, you have to feel confident that Sam Hilliard can step up and take more playing time in left field, improves your defense. He doesn't fit the mold of a power-hitting corner outfielder, mm-hmm. but 
would give you pretty good defense and give you offense and lessen the need to even have Marcelo Zuna on the roster. Never mind play him and give him at-bats. He can absolutely fly, too. Those of you who yeah. that have not seen uh, here, you run the bases. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, let me ask you another one that's on the on the aisle, and he's going to be there for a little bit, is uh, is Arcia. And right now, Grissom, I mean, uh, yes, he had the go-ahead run uh, that ended up getting Atlanta the win for the sweep. He seems to be feeling a little bit more comfortable out there. Is that something where he has a chance to win his job and to stay at this level? Or when R.C. is done, R.C. was doing fine from the plate, and he really didn't boot any balls and wasn't doing too bad in the outfield either. So uh, there's a big decision coming out of Snitaker here in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Grissom was a little shaky in that first game, and I think some mm-hmm. of that may have just been jitters. You mentioned he's not technically still, still a prospect, but he still kind of has that rookie mentality. I think it's a scenario where we know the limitations for Von Grissom are defense, right? And we know that Orlando Arcia uh, is an above-average defender, if not plus. Very good. And we know that the Braves have a hole in left field. I just talked about that. I do think that there is some sort of runway here when Orlando Arcia comes back, provided he's back to hitting and he's healthy at the plate. He's not going to get Wally Pipp. You can have a way to give him his job back and use Von Grissom some in left field, rotate him in at shortstop, some DH work, keep the bat in the lineup, lessen the exposure to the defense that you have some questions about. Um, and, and, have the advantage of both guys. I don't think you're going to bench Arcia for him because mm-hmm. Arcia was so. If Arcia was batting 125 entering the injury, it's a yeah, different it'd be conversation. Easy. Yeah. yeah, but 333, 400, 511 in the first 13 games. That's a guy that you give a spot back when he comes back. So I think there's some runway here, provided everybody gets hot. If Grissom cools off, they can send him back to AAA, let him play short every day, and see if he can get better defensively. But I think it it is going to be a fun conversation in a few weeks. Uh, from what I've heard, it's around, they're expected maybe three more weeks on mm-hmm. RC's injury before he's able to, to possibly come back or maybe do a rehab start. So a couple weeks for Grissom to get his feet underneath him. We know what he did last year, uh, starting off that first couple weeks and then how it cooled off from there. So we'll see if he could make the adjustments. Expectations for this weekend or this week at the the uh, early week series. Freed getting a nod as we talked about. They say no limitations. I still got to think he's got to be on some sort of pitch count. Right. I doubt he's going to. I mean, I, I don't see him even if he's having a heck of a game. I don't see him going a complete game on a Monday night. So it's Freed Strider Morton for Atlanta. Weather Snell Martinez for San Diego. Expectations for the for the week. With Sean Murphy hitting the way he is and having gotten a day off from behind the plate on Sunday, just the DH. I want to feel like Atlanta can go two and one here. I it's just I know that you struggled against Snell and Martinez last time they were here. It was in Atlanta. It was a little bit different situation. You had just lost one player. We're getting ready to lose Travis Darno. I really think two and one is a realistic outcome here. Braves fans are not going to want to hear this. My expectations for the this series is one and two. Uh, it's a travel to the West Coast. I always say East Coast teams never travel well to the West Coast. San Diego seems to have our number inside of Petco whenever the Braves take on there, which is by far one of the most beautiful stadiums. Side note, if you plan on going to San Diego and you're listening to this, there's a rooftop bar that overlooks the stadium that is absolutely fantastic that you can go to as well. Uh, go check that out. It's on top of a hotel. <laughs> Tell them Ben Taylor sent you. <laughs> yeah, you did. I'm sure that 
don't remember me from last time I was there. I did run up quite a tab, by the way. Uh, but I do. I do see one and two uh, for the Braves as they have to hit that West Coast swing before they're able to finally come back home and maybe get some more wins under their belt. But uh, I will take it. While they're hot, I, I would not put it past them. I say one and two. I wouldn't put it past them because, as I said, by the numbers, they're doing way better than San Diego. They could sweep this on the West Coast and come back. So uh, we shall see. He's Lindsey Crosby. I'm Ben Taylor. That's the Braves Today podcast. Find out more at bravestoday.com. Follow on Twitter at Braves underscore today. Or go and listen to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. That was Ben Taylor of Auburn Opelika this morning and Braves Today. And it was Lindsey Crosby of Locked On MLB Prospects and Auburn Daily and Braves Today. Talking about the Braves getting back-to-back sweeps and previewing their series with the San Diego Padres. A lot of good stuff there. We need to get to our first break of the Monday edition of On the Line. When we come back, we will uh, have our question of the day, and it will be pertaining to those Atlanta Braves. You are on the line on ESPN 1067, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. Welcome back to the Monday edition of On the Line. Last segment, we got some great Braves Today audio from Ben Taylor and Lindsey Crosby. So if you want to hear about the Braves and their upcoming series with the Padres, make sure you go find that on the podcast. Uh, Also, we got our question of the day in this segment. 16 games in and sporting the second best record in baseball behind just the Tampa Bay Rays, who started, I believe, 13-0 until they dropped two out of three against the Blue Jays this past weekend. Just how impressive has it been for this Atlanta Braves team to start like this. And when you look at it, the offense, in my opinion, I mean, it's been unbelievable. They've been great. They have, while you've had a pretty banged up pitching staff, you've had to rely on the offense, they look like they're the best offense in baseball right now. You just look at the numbers. Sean Murphy's really gotten it going. He's now batting two he He's got his three home runs as the power numbers have started to Come around. Matt Olson hitting over 300, five home runs, 17 RBIs. Ozzy Albies looks pretty good, uh, finally coming back from injury. Uh, Austin Riley is doing Austin Riley things the way that we have come to, uh, I guess, always expect. Ronald Acuna. Ronald Acuna looks special this year. He's hitting 373 in the early going, three home runs, uh, 11 RBIs, seven stolen bases. And like they were talking about on the podcast, everybody's hitting. Travis Darno, who's banged up right now, he was he's he was hitting well before he he got banged up. Uh, Vaughn Grissom came up this past weekend. He's been pretty good so far. Um, I think if he can continue that, he might have a chance to seal that short start shortstop spot spot. As and you're going to get Orlando Arcia back at some point. Uh, if you can get guys like Eddie Rosario rolling, uh, it'd be a massive plus to this team. If you can, if you can get enough guys going that you can kind of eliminate Marcel Ozuna, that'd be something that would make this Braves team just that much more uh, dangerous. The pitching has been all right. I mean, you, you've had some guys step up. You had Bryce Elder have a couple great outings uh, coming up, filling in for some injured injured guys. But the way that they've been able to overcome all of this 
despite the injuries racking up, has been nothing short of amazing. I mean, you had Kyle Wright, who started the year hurt. Razi Iglesias, he's been banged up. He's still not... I don't even think he's that close to being back, according to Lindsey Crosby, last week. Uh, you had My- Michael Harris, Money Mike. He got a little banged up. Uh, he's missed some time. I think he's he's close to seeing, I think, live batting again uh, away from, obviously, live game action. Uh, Orlando Arcia got hit with that pitch. He uh, had the, the micro fracture in his wrist. He's on the 10-day DL. Uh, Travis Darno's on the 7-day DL. Max Freed tweaked that hamstring on opening day. Uh, you you got to think he'll be back sometime relatively soon. But the way that they've built this 12-4 and record, despite all of that, is so impressive. It really is. I mean, especially when they've overcome the, the lack of production from the DH spot in Marcelo Zuna. I mean, Marcel Azuna right now might be the worst player in baseball. Uh, he's hitting 075. That's unbelievable. Uh, I mean, he has three hits to 13 strikeouts. That's so bad. It's painful to watch him right now. And if the Braves can can get back, get healthy, thinking to start to phase him out more and more as we go. And and that that's kind of what I'm talking about here is. What does this team look like at full strength? Is this the best team at ba- in baseball at full strength? They might be the best team in baseball right now. And that's a credit to the way that uh, Alex Anthopoulos has built this Braves team, this offense. It's so good. There's not a lot of breaks other than Marcelo Zuna in the lineup. You look up and down, Sean Murphy, Matt Olson, Ozzy Albies, Austin Riley. We know how hot Eddie Rosario can get. Uh, Ronald Acuna. You also have, I mean, Travis Darno, Michael Harris, when they're healthy, they're not easy outs by any stretch of the imagination. And they've been really good players. I mean, Michael Harris has shown such maturity, uh, and he looks like a 10-year veteran when he is out there. Uh, and it's been really impressive. You've got some other veterans on this team. Kevin Pillar, uh, you've got a... a he hasn't gotten any real action yet other than four at-bats, but having a utility guy, we've seen here Andrianza be big in the past for the Braves. Uh, but if you can get guys like Von Grissom going, it'll be, they'll be a handful. They really will be. It'll be difficult for, for teams to beat this Braves team. And then on the mound, you've got Bryce Elder, who in his three starts is sporting a 1-5-3 ERA. He's been really good. You've got a veteran presence in Charlie Morton. You've got Spencer Strider, of course, who will always do Spencer Strider things as long as he is healthy. Kyle Wright is finally back, and so now we get to see what he will look like over uh, the rest of this season. You've got a bullpen led by A.J. Minter. Uh, you've had <laughs> the biggest journeyman in all of Major League Baseball, Jesse Chavez, who's been on a 1,000 teams. He's on like his third or fourth, fourth stint with the Braves. When you get Iglesias back, we're talking about a team that I think is as good or better than every other team in baseball. And it's been really impressive to see what they've done. You look at how other teams, other big-name teams have struggled early. The Dodgers are 8-8. Eight eight, the Cardinals are 7-9. The Padres are 8-9. Three of those wins coming against the Braves, actually. The Giants, who were really good last year, 5-9. Astros, 7-9. Mariners, uh, they are 8-8. Eight and eight. 
This is impressive what they've done going 12 and 6. You're two games clear of the Mets. Yeah, that, the big bad Mets that spend all of that money. This Braves team, I think, has a chance to be really, really special. I like what I've seen so far. If they can get back to full strength, we're talking about a team that can be really, really elite. And you also, I mean, you got the Phillies too, who have, who have struggled here early at 6 and 10. But the Braves. Red hot right now. They play the Padres coming up this week. It'll be a big series. We will see what, what happens. We need to get to our next break. When we come back, hopefully our good buddy Jack Hudden will be on the phone line. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird on ESPN 1067. Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Welcome back to the Monday edition of On the Line. Carter Bird in the Auburn Network studio solo in today's episode of On the Line because my good buddy Jacob Goins and co-host, he is on the road doing some Lee Scott Academy baseball on AU100. Uh, He gets underway in about 25 minutes over there if you want to keep track of that one. We were going to try to go to the phone lines with, for uh, Jack Hudden to start this segment, but unfortunately we were unable to get him on the phone, so hopefully we can try again at around 3 o'clock. But uh, this allows us to, to dive into what I was, I was going to start hour number two with, which is let's talk about the transfer portal uh, in two sports right now because I do think that there's a lot going on. Uh, let's start with Auburn football. Uh, not a lot has happened so far in the transfer portal as far as Auburn adding players. I don't think uh, it's been interesting. I don't think the football transfer portal has been quite as chaotic as we thought it was going to be so far. I don't think you've seen a lot of teams adding players already because it just opened. And I do wonder with that, is part of it the fact that so many springs are ongoing. We know uh, Alabama has their spring game coming up. Other teams have their spring games this weekend. Uh, you've got other teams that are going to be um, they're going to be having their spring game on the 29th, which will be the day before the transfer portal closes. Again, I do not know why the NCAA decided to move that up. I think it put... It puts the athletes, it puts these players at a disadvantage, especially those that have a late spring. Um, And I don't love that. I don't love that you're really putting them in a time crunch if if they're trying to stick it out through spring, see where they stand at the very end, then evaluate their options. I think that that was a mistake by the NCAA to move the transfer portal period open up. I guess they're trying to... Uh, condense the schedule for for the year for these coaches so they do have a little time to decompress, a little break. Uh, I don't know how true that is because summer recruiting gets pretty hectic and uh, active pretty quickly. But for Auburn, we we know that there are two reserve linebackers in the portal and Desmond Tisdall and Cameron Brown, Derek Brown's little brother. I don't think either they've been in the portal. They've announced their intentions to go into the portal rather uh, for a while, and I don't think, I don't think that they exactly hmm, are names that are going to affect this Auburn team in 2023. They're reserve guys. We don't really hear about them cracking the two or three deep for um, 
that linebacker rotation this for this upcoming season. I don't think those are going to be drastic losses. Since those names have entered the portal, we've had two more enter the portal. Uh, the first being Jeffrey Emba last Thursday. He entered the portal or announced his intention to. I think he is now in the portal officially now that it is open as of Saturday. That one's a little surprising. It is because he's somebody who's going to be on the two deep. Uh, and he had so many social media posts talking about how great it is to play for coaches that love him, uh, that care about him. And maybe, maybe somehow that's uh, those are social media posts that are made as shots of the current staff, that he feels like they don't care about him as much as we, we know how close Jeffrey Imba was with, with Brian Harson. We saw the when Jeffrey Imba told Brian Harson uh, and Brad Bedell that he was going to commit, Brad Bedell was going crazy off to the side, and Brian Harson and Jeffrey Imba had <laughs> what, like a 45 second hug. Um, and it was one of the few, I guess, humanizing moments of Brian Harson's tenure here at Auburn. Um, but it's a little surprising to see him hit the portal because he was going to play, and he was going to play a lot. I, I do wonder, could this move have been the result of, say, could this be because we've seen um, some shakeups on the offensive line, on the defensive line, rather? We've seen Justin Rogers come in, be really, really good, and exceed expectations. It looks like he's going to be on the field in that first unit. We've also seen what's what from what we've heard from Intel, from listening to Hugh Freeze and the staff talk. Jason Jones has taken a significant step forward in the weight room and on the field, and just being a leader in general. And somebody had to step up in that room because somebody had to step up on the defense. Somebody had to step up on the team. Because I think Colby Wooden, I think Derek Hall were two of your best leaders on this Auburn football team, along with Owen Papo um, and some of the other guys who, who left off last year's team. So somebody needed to step up. And it sounds like Jason Jones has become one of those guys. Jason Jones, the Oregon transfer, who last year he played a fair amount. He was solid. I think he's got a chance to take a significant step forward. I think he is going to be a leader on this team. It sounds like Justin Rogers and Jason Jones are getting really good push up the middle. I think they're two really big guys that are difficult to move on the inside. I mean, they are enormous humans. I mean, you talk about Jason Jones, a guy who is every bit of 6'6", 340 pounds right now, on the Auburn roster, that's a big man. That really is. And you've got Justin Rogers, who's not all that much smaller, to be honest with you. He is uh, listed at 6'3", 340. So two 340-pounders. I think they want both on the field at the same time. So that leaves you with, you, you have a decision to make. You've got a guy who has been a two-year starter, a guy who's been an absolute stud in Marcus Harris, a guy who just gets... The job done. He may not be the flashiest player, but he is really, really good. He's 6'3", 294. He's been playing D-tackle for you two years in a row. What if you slid him out to defensive end? And I think that created a little bit of... I think that knocked Jeffrey Imba 
down a peg on the depth chart. And I don't think that, from what I've heard, I don't think maybe that was handled the best way. Uh, and he's now in the portal. But Jeffrey Imba was a guy who was highly rated coming out of junior college, a guy who was uh, the number one junior college player in the country out of Independence Community College out there in Kansas, one of the one of those last-chance-you teams. And now he's going to move on somewhere else. I think that one hurts. I think that one hurts from a depth perspective. I think now there's a little more urgency to attack the portal on the defensive line. You didn't have to for a pure defensive lineman. I think you got to now. We'll talk more about that later. The other addition is Tavares Chick Dawson. Somebody who Auburn fans, I mean, he was highly rated coming out of uh, coming out of high school. He was a guy out of Florida. He's a guy who's really, really good uh, in high school. I thought when I watched his film, I thought he could be your Kadarius Tony type of player. I thought he was, I mean, he's a four-star, top 350 player in the country, really good athlete, a guy that as a freshman, they thought he was going to make a really big impact. He gets COVID. It kind of set him back, and I don't think we saw him really bounce back to that level of, because he was going to be an instant impact guy as a true freshman. Well, now he's in the portal. There's some conflicting information on how good he was this spring. There were some people that said he was one of the more consistent wide receivers, but then in the viewing periods, you would hardly see him get reps at all in the top three groups. Um, I don't think that this is the biggest loss, but I do think that, I mean, we're talking about a position group at wide receiver that is not the strongest at Auburn. It's not. It needs to get better. It does. And I think that's going to be one of the places we see Auburn attack in the portal. Tavares Dawson does not have a bunch of stats in his Auburn career. Um, He has, I think, 40 total yards. I think he's got two catches for 30 yards last year and two rushes for 10 yards. So it's not like you're losing a a bunch of production in Tavares Dawson. I think it's a guy that... You also have some pieces that can kind of play that role. Javarius Johnson, we've seen what he can do in his career. I think he was Auburn's leading receiver last year, if I do recall. Last year, Javarius Johnson, who's going to be going into uh, his, I guess, his COVID year this year, we saw him have 26 catches for 493 yards, three touchdowns. Kind of a similar skill set. Small Speedy guy, quick. Uh, we saw him go deep a couple times and catch some passes. We saw in the spring game, Tavares Dawson was that guy. And that's kind of how they tried to use him last year. They ran him deep when he was on the field. You also have Jay Fair, who's a guy that I like a lot, a guy who I think can, can be a really big player. Uh, I know that there are other people in the Auburn media, on the Auburn beat, that think he can be really good. I mean, he had two catches, 34 yards last year. Uh, didn't get a ton of run, but, I mean, he was a true freshman. I think you would expect to see those true freshmen, Camden Brown, Jay Fair, Amari Kelly, look for them to take a step forward this next year. I think Camden Brown's probably your leader in the clubhouse to be Auburn's number one wide receiver. Tavares Dawson, I guess it hurts 
because you're you're already not great at wide receiver. And this is a guy that at least some places have heard some buzz that he was consistent in the spring. Um, but, I mean, to be honest, haven't really heard consistent takes on Tavares Dawson. I don't think that one hurts as bad. I think that is kind of like, I think, some of the names we might see go into the portal here soon from Auburn's team. I think that they're, they're guys that... In Auburn fans' minds, they expected to be really good players. They wanted to be really good players, and it just hasn't panned out. There might be a couple names that that pop up in that group here soon. Looking to see what happens there. Um, I know that the the staff, this Auburn staff, Hugh Freeze and company, they will be having a lot of meetings this week with players. I think it's kind of the end of spring, kind of almost like exit interview, kind of at the end of the end of a season type of uh, situation. So I think you're going to see a lot of movement for Auburn this week. You may, you may see a lot of guys, a lot more guys hop in the portal. Again, I don't, I truly, because we have not, we have not seen the transfer portal window moved up like this from April 15th to April 30th. I don't know how quickly Auburn's going to be adding people, but I think once you start to see more pieces file out the door into the transfer portal, you will start to see some trickle in. And I do think the staff has a plan. I do think the staff is going to attack the portal uh, well. I think they're going to go address the needs. And we'll talk more about that here in the next segment. But we need to hit our final break of our number one here on On the Line. When we come back, we'll talk about where Auburn needs to look in the transfer portal over the next 13, 12 days or whatever. You are on the line on ESPN 1067. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Welcome back to On the Line on this beautiful Monday outside. We're talking Auburn football and the transfer portal Talked about Tavarish Dawson and uh, Jeffrey Imba that uh, have entered the portal. Also, uh, Carter Bird in the Auburn Network studio solo in today's show because my good buddy and co-host, uh, Jacob Goins, he is on the road uh, calling Lee Scott Academy Baseball as they get going here in about seven minutes on AU100, uh, 100.3 FM and AU100, or AU100FM.com and the AU100 app. Uh, first pitch is in seven minutes as they take on Lee Scott Academy. Uh, the Warriors take on Springwood in an area game uh, in a doubleheader. So be be sure to check that out if you would like to on AU100. But back to the transfer portal, to, back to Auburn, talking about uh, Tavares Dawson and um, Jeffrey Imba hitting the portal. How does this affect Auburn? and how they need to address the transfer portal, how they need to attack it. Um, when I look at it, I think Auburn needs to look at the, the, the following positions and maybe in the, fo- in the following numbers. I think you obviously start at quarterback. I don't expect T.J. Finley to be on this roster in the fall, and if that's the case, you need to go get another quarterback. I would not be comfortable rolling into the 2023 football season with Hank Brown, the true freshman who's not going to be here till May, 
with him as your QB3. That's a lot to put on a guy. And we saw how how injuries can rack up at the quarterback position in the 2022 season, especially in the SEC. We saw it at Arkansas. We saw it at Kentucky. We saw it at Alabama. Uh, heck, we saw it to an extent at Florida. It happened all over the league. There were injuries everywhere. We saw it at Texas a and You need to have three guys that you can comfortably rely on. And I don't think asking a true freshman in Hank Brown, a guy who I think everyone can agree on, is going to be a developmental piece at Auburn. It's going to take him a couple of years before we are expecting him to compete for the starting quarterback job. And if that's the case, that that's fine. But if you roll into this season and it's just Robbie Ashford and it's just Holden Gurner that you trust to run your offense, I don't love that. I really don't. Because you're talking about a situation where you've got a running quarterback in Robbie Ashford who we have seen get banged up already in his career. He's tough. He played through it. But he had a, uh, an index finger injury on his throwing hand. He had a shoulder injury. That shoulder injury reared its head again this spring. He missed some time in spring because of it. You aren't going to be able to use his greatest strength, his legs, if you only have Robbie Ashford and Holden Gurner. Holden Gurner guy who came along a lot in the back half of spring, looked a lot better, appears to have passed T.J. Finley, and that's why I don't expect T.J. Finley to be on this team in 2023. But you got to go get more guys. You got to go go get more guys. We're going to talk more about this here uh, in the 3 o'clock hour. Uh, that's just getting started. I think quarterback, Auburn may have to go get one, probably two in my mind, to feel comfortable going into the 2023 season. That's going to do it for hour number one. When we come back, we will continue to talk to talk the transfer portal and maybe some Auburn basketball as well. Live on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 106.7 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goetz and Carter Bird. You're on the line here in the Auburn Network studio. Carter Bird uh, soloing it today for this episode of of On the Line. Jacob Goins is on the road calling Lee Scott Academy Baseball against Springwood. They have a doubleheader on AU100, uh, AU100FM.com, and the AU100 app. They are just underway right now, it appears, uh, as the Lee Scott Academy Warriors take on Springwood. Also of note for for baseball, a different team, uh, Auburn University tomorrow night takes on Samford in Plainsman Park at 6 p.m. 
And I have two tickets to the first caller that calls in wanting these uh, tickets to the Auburn's home game tomorrow night against Sanford at Plainsman Park. Again, first pitch is at 6 p.m. So two tickets to the first person that calls in, and uh, we will give those away. We were talking about uh, Auburn football and the transfer portal. I was talking about where Auburn needs to look for for potential um, potential positions of need, potential additions in the transfer portal. And, you know, I started uh, with quarterback. And I, I went so long on quarterback that the first hour actually ended. Uh, so we know that Auburn, in my opinion, Auburn needs to go get a quarterback, at least one, because I don't expect T.J. Finley to be on this roster. His comments after A-Day uh, makes you think that he's not going to be on the team. And um, and I, I think that Auburn needs to go add one more quarterback because Hank Brown, uh, I don't want him to be the third quarterback for Auburn to rely on in the 2023 season. Uh, we're actually going to head to the phone line right now as we have Shane on the line. Shane, welcome into the show. How are you? Hey, man, I'm, I'm doing well. Um, I, I, was, I was just going to comment about your, your conversation that you're having with yourself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't want Hank Brown to be their quarterback right now. He, he seems like a... Like he he might be a smart kid, but he seems very small or something to me. Is that is it just is that just me? I think he's very like, skinny. I, like he's I, I, I think room. he's got he's got the frame you want at six four, but he's just a according to his two four seven profile, he's only one hundred ninety five pounds. Um, and and so I agree with you there. He needs time in the weight yeah. room to fill out his frame. Uh, I think he needs to develop more than likely. I do like that he um, was coached up by Trent Dilfer, who's one of the better uh, yeah. quarterback coaches in the country. Uh, obviously now the head coach at UAB, which that's a totally different conversation about whether that should have happened or not. Right. I think that was a, an instance where um, UAB put some messaging out there that they were going to have a home run hire, and then it, I think they thought they were going to get Tom Herman. I really do. Yeah. And yeah. Tom Herman wouldn't even meet with him. And so at that point, I think they were kind of scrambling. Uh, but, yeah, no, I, I don't think you need to go into this next season with Hank Brown as quarterback three because he's going to get here in May. And so you're going to ask him yeah. to to learn the playbook, to put on some weight, to build chemistry with the receivers on the team and be ready – if Robbie Ashford and Holden Gurner go down, which when we what we saw last year, quarterbacks kind of dropped like flies in the SEC last year. I'm not comfortable with that, and that's why I think Auburn needs to go get a quarterback out of the the transfer portal. At least one. I think they need to go get two. So, so I, I have not seen much of 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 Hank Brown. All I've know is that the coaches really like the guy and. And um, I I would feel better if he had some you know some some practices some 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 time under his belt Agreed. you know to just to get to get used to to this this is a big step up from from where he was going to go you know and then yeah. that that being said you know it, 
I know we're going to get a quarterback. I'm pretty sure that we're going to we're going to going to get a new another quarterback. Does someone else leave then after that? You know, because it seems like I'm, I know he's gone. Are you saying if if Auburn adds somebody, do we see one of Robbie so Ashford or, or Holden Gurner leave? Right. So let's let's say we go we go out and we get a, a starter. You know, we, we're not going to get a backup for, for for these guys. We're getting we're we find the home run hit okay. uh, that we were looking for, and, and it's a one year deal though. Yeah. So does does, does does the other two stick around or because they didn't? You know, now that means that 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 uh. The Ashford would be QB two probably, and then Gerner would be would be three. So they were, you know, they were probably looking yeah. at it as as this, and now it's this. And then then we got we got White coming in next year, and then and then Hank Brown. So you know, it's just like if they don't get it now, then then it might not happen for these guys. I think you're you're one person you need to worry about if Auburn goes and finds a bona fide starter in the transfer portal would be. Holden Gurner, because I don't think Robbie Ashford can go anywhere. I think there there is a window okay. for for with a new coach that comes in the door for a player to transfer and get an immediate waiver. I know that that's a thing, especially even if you've already used your one time transfer. That window right. is passed, yeah. and so Robbie Ashford has, unless he somehow is graduating at the end of the spring, which I don't think is the case. He can't go anywhere. He's already used his one-time transfer. So if he if if it's a one-year guy like in in this scenario, he would if he transferred, he'd have to sit a year anyway. So I I, right. I don't know yeah, right. what he would gain by hitting the portal unless he's yeah, just but, unless he's just upset and he and he right. thinks he's been disrespected by the right. staff or something, which I I don't think will happen. Um Holden Gurner, though, that, that would be a question mark. Although, as of right now, it does not appear to me that hold, if we're going to play the first game of the 2023 season, first snap, I don't think Holden Gurner is the one trotting out on the field to, to take that first snap right now. I still think oh, yeah, it's Robbie Ashford. And so, if it's a one-year guy, and you know Robbie Ashford was going to be here next year anyway and you were already expecting to be the backup. Right. Yeah. Would yeah, that right. change anything for you really? I mean it could. It certainly could. And, but but and, what if we get a couple of quarterbacks? One that that is going to be the the presumed starter and then another another to fill the room. Plus the two guys coming in next year or or or, or at least or this one white white it's just and, white and, right and now. Hank yes. Brown. Hank Brown. That's what I'm Yeah. Uh, so you know that that's filling up the just filling up that room and and it's that's only fair. one spot throw the ball. Then that that's a hundred percent true, and I think that that is. I think you are always having to recruit quarterbacks right now, and always having to fill up that room because of the transfer portal. Because if you sit on your laurels and you feel like okay, we're good. We're good. We've got Robbie Ashford. We've got Hank Brown. We've got Holden Gurner. And we've got X incoming transfer. We've got Walker White coming behind him. If you just stand pat. Yeah. And then you have one, two guys hit the portal. If you have what, what is taking, what is potentially taking place, uh, at NC State where they have, uh, they had Brennan Armstrong transfer in. They lost Devin Leary to the transfer portal. They lost Ben Finley to the transfer portal 
There's rumors. One, one of the more speculated guys to hit the transfer portal is a guy like MJ Morris at NC State. If that were to happen, like if that happens to you at Auburn and you don't have contingencies or backup plans, then you find yourself behind the able. You find yourself like Florida does right now, where Florida's got two guys, and that's it. Yeah. They've got they've got their guy who finished the season last year who did not look particularly great, and they've got Graham Mertz from Wisconsin, who I'll be honest with you, I've gotten to watch a decent amount of ball that he's played. I don't think he's very good. And so I think yeah. you you always have to to be pursuing a quarterback. You so I don't I don't think it's the end of the world if you go get two guys. If you go get two guys and Holden Gurner transfers out for whatever reason. Uh, even though I think he's put himself in a decent position right now, I think it, I think if you saw Auburn get a second quarterback, if, you, if they go get two, they're going to get one to to try to win the starting job, and they're going to get one who is a legitimate developmental piece, probably a young guy. And it's all about, I guess, what's Holden Garner's mindset. Does he yeah. does he view himself as ahead of that guy because he's already been here, he's already been th- through the spring? Does he view himself as a better quarterback? If that's the case, he may not bounce. I, I I get your point though. I get your point though for sure. It's certainly it's going to be interesting. Stuff is going to shake out one way or the other at quarterback at Auburn. Uh, whether hey, real it be quick. do what? I said real quick, and I'm gonna I'm gonna hang up. And let you listen, or, or let you. Uh, I'm gonna listen to your comment. But um, um, how do we fix the baseball pitching for Auburn? Well, I'm gonna hang up <laughs> and listen. Yeah, Don't worry, buddy. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, Shane. That was Shane on the line. Uh, great call right there. Talking about Auburn baseball pitching. Shane, I, I don't know. I don't know right now because I don't know who your go-to guys are past a couple guys. John Armstrong, uh, Will Cannon, um, Tommy Vail's been all right. It's just so inconsistent. You and you are struggling to throw strikes. You're walking so many hitters, and as long as Joseph Gonzalez is out, I think it puts this staff behind the eight ball because that's six, seven innings a weekend that is vanished. It's gone. It's not there. So I don't know where you like, and so you're having to push these young freshmen and these guys who haven't been in this role before. They're having to play. Significant roles. And I think they're struggling. And the one that makes gives me the most that makes me scratch my head the most is Chase Awesome. Because Chase Awesome, in my mind, has elite stuff. Great curveball, ninety four to ninety six on the mound, really probably ninety five to ninety seven on the mound. Can touch ninety nine. And yet and looked pretty good at the end of the year last year in spots on the way to the College World Series. Out of the bullpen. He was pretty good. He and Tommy Sheehan really stepped up. And I tell you what, they they Tommy Sheehan's been a little banged up this year. That's really hurt as well. But Chase also not taking that next step and really regressing has been difficult. It has stressed this staff a lot. And last year, if you had asked me at the end of the year last year, who was next up? Who is going to be that next elite, that next 
great Auburn pitcher. Because we've seen Keegan Thompson. We've seen Casey Mize. We've seen Tanner Burns. We've seen Davis Daniel when he was healthy. We've seen so many guys do so well. And I would have told you Chase Ossip was next. Chase Ossip was next. And right now, this year, he's got 13 appearances. He started three games. And in those 13 appearances, he's only thrown 21 on a third innings. He's allowed 33 hits. He's he's walked 18 guys. So he has and he's and he's hit three guys as well. So he has put he has allowed 54 runners on base in 21 on a third innings. And the strikeout numbers I mean, he struck out a little bit more than than um innings pitched. Scratch that. He's uh no, no, he is he has walked uh 18 guys. I am correct with that. So he's put 54 runners on. That's not a recipe for success. He's got elite stuff and guys are hitting 355 off him. It's head scratching. It really is. Your your only guys that right now that you can feel decent about Tommy Vale but even he has a tendency at times to walk people. He has 25 walks and two hit hit batters in 37 innings pitched. Opponents are hitting just 164 off him. He's he has a 4.34 ERA. He's been pretty solid. Will Cannon. Opponents are hitting better, but he's doing a better job of of controlling the earned runs. He's thrown 29 innings. He's still walked a lot of guys. This staff just can't throw strikes. And when they do, they kind of get hit around. Drew Nelson's a guy that if he could limit the walks, he's put 20 guys on base and with walks and hit by pitches. 22 and two-thirds, he's put 20 guys on. And he's allowed 16 hits. Guys are just hitting 198 off him. Like, Drew Nelson needs to be a guy who really nails down the control. And, and takes a step forward, develops over the course of the season. But until Joseph Gonzalez comes back, I don't know how much better it's going to get. Because Joseph Gonzalez, I think, is the steadying hand on the staff. Because you can almost bank on him every time he goes out there at full strength, fully healthy. He's going to give you six, seven innings because he's that efficient of two-run baseball. And you're going to have a chance, to, especially with this offense that Auburn has, you're going to have a chance to win. I mean, he has one outing this year. He went five innings. He did not. He only had one strikeout. He did not walk anybody. He did not hit any batters. He gave up two hits. But he got through five innings on 41 pitches. That's so unbelievably efficient. That's, that's unheard of. Unheard of. That's crazy. And not having that guy to lead the staff, to be your Friday night guy that you feel good about going into an SEC series, like, hey, we're going to be there in the last three innings because we've got a dude on the mound. We've got a guy who will give us a chance. He'll let the defense make plays behind him. He'll throw that sinker. He'll, let, he'll make the other team just pound the ball into the dirt. And we'll make plays behind him. Not having that has been brutal 
for this Auburn staff. And you've had to rely on a lot of freshmen. Zach Crotchfield, Drew Nelson. And you've had to thrust some guys into some roles that maybe they shouldn't have had to be in. And this staff, I mean, they've just struggled. They're walking too many hitters. They're walking too many hitters. And until they get back in the strike zone, until you start to see Joseph Gonzalez back, until you see maybe Chase Ossip, the, the light switch, come on, I'm not sure how much better. I'm not sure how much better it's going to get for all. It's a struggle right now. And it's going to continue to be a struggle as long as they are walking this many batters. And you, you, these young guys don't find a way to step up until J- Joseph Gonzalez comes back. And that's what it's going to be. We need to hit our first break of hour number two here on On the Line. When we come back, we will jump back into the transfer portal discussion. So don't miss that here on On the Line. You are on the line on ESPN 1067. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. Welcome back to the Monday edition of On the Line here in the Auburn Network studio. Carter Bird, solo in today's show as Jacob Goins is on the road calling Lee Scott Academy Baseball at Springwood as they have a doubleheader, an area game uh, on AU 100. Uh, AU100FM and AU100FM.com and the AU100 app if you want to check that out. We just talked a lot about the uh, transfer portal and a little bit of Auburn baseball, but we're going to head back to the phone lines. We have Terry on the line. Terry, welcome into the show. How are you? I'm doing great, Carter. How you doing? Doing great today, bud. I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Just uh, enjoying enjoying the uh, solo in the show today, you know? You're doing fine. You're doing Appreciate fine. that. Um, Carter, I really think it's a, it's a misnomer. We're looking at a uh, white brown battle at quarterback for for in Hugh Freeze's second and third years. You know, uh, Terry, I I can't say that I agree with that because I think I think Hank Brown is a multi year project. I think he's going to need time to develop. I think he needs to fill out. He's very very skinny right now at six four, and I think if you if you I think we are putting too much pressure on Walker White to be the guy too quickly at Auburn. And I don't want to throw him out there and then have him struggle, destroy his confidence, and have him not develop into the guy he needs to be, or he, he can be, rather. And I would rather give him a year to sit See how it operates. Learn the offense. Develop under Hugh Freeze, Ken Austin, and Philip Montgomery. Three great quarterback coaches. I'd rather do that with him. So I think, I think you're either going to have. I think your starting quarterback in in 24 will absolutely be a transfer portal quarterback, or it'll be Robbie Ashford or uh, Holden Gurner. I think it's still going to be one of those three. I see what you're saying. I do not disagree with you one bit, Carter. Um, but but I, I just think the kids coming to high school are more mature, more ready now than ever to play. And I think uh, White will be ready, more ready than ever. Brown, I see your point. He's, what, 195 pounds, 6'4", but all of a sudden he's 210, all of a sudden he's 220. You know, yeah. all of a sudden he's a bigger a bigger guy. It's just, you know, who knows? I mean, who I, knows how that works? I will I say, I, I part of me does wonder if he is some sort of diamond in the rough because of the quarterback coaching, if he is – Somebody that got over overlooked, 
but might come in a little bit better than we thought because of the two years, two, three years, however long it was that he had Trent Dilfer as a head coach, who was an NFL quarterback and a really good quarterback's coach and worked with the Elite 11 for years and worked with guys to prepare them for the NFL draft. I do wonder what he's going to look like when fall practice starts. Well, the one thing I can guarantee you, they bring him on. The running game will be good enough. The offensive line will be good enough to bring those quarterbacks along a lot better than the imbecile we just got rid of. Oh, 100%, Terry. 100%. I mean, the retooled so, offensive line, and I don't think they're they're done on the offensive line. We've seen them offer a couple players in the transfer portal. Uh, I think one was at a Mac school, I can't recall. And then uh, we saw we saw an offer to, or I think we saw one offer to, a Tulsa offensive lineman, and one to a Wyoming offensive lineman. Uh, and I think that, that shows you right there, they want more depth. And they want an interior guy, in my mind, to come in in the fall and potentially compete for that right guard spot. And even if they, if they don't win that right guard spot, have a chance to be um, another guy that gives you depth. Because you don't get by in the SEC with six SEC caliber offensive linemen or seven even. You need you need something like eight or nine. You need depth because the chances that you're starting five, they're healthy the whole year, they're pretty low. Well that's where you see teams like Alabama and Georgia why they've had long term success because in game seven, eight, and nine, that depth is starting to show. Yes. What one hundred percent. And I think that's why you've seen and I will stand by this. Um, I think that's why you've seen Georgia overtake Alabama. As right now, I think Georgia is the premier program in college football. And it starts up front because the difference makers on the interior of the defensive line and along the offensive line that were at Alabama for so long during that dynasty, they're all sitting in Athens, Georgia right now. And they're four, five, six deep at D tackle. With really good players. I mean, you saw they're about to have back-to-back defensive tackles taken likely in the top 10 in Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter. And mm-hmm. and I think they're going to backfill that with even more talent. They are what Kirby Smart has done in his time at Georgia is he has, I'm not going to say he's totally turned the faucet off on Nick Saban, but he has turned that faucet down and it's now, it's not as strong of a stream of elite talent in the trenches going to Alabama. And that's why I think you've seen Alabama. I, I still think they're one of the best four teams in college football, but I think they're not, they don't have a stranglehold on all of college football as the most dominant program. And you've seen him turn the faucet on in Athens, Georgia. And that's why they are where they're at. Yeah, Carter, do you believe that if Kirby Smart could pull off a miracle this year and win a three in a row, that he would leave for the NFL and do something no coach has ever done, especially Saban? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think I, I think he has his eyes set on taking down Saban as the greatest football coach of all time and doing it at his album alma, alma mater. I think that's, three in a row that's do it. fair, but I think he needs to I think he's gotta get to more total ones, uh, in my opinion. Terry, we we, we got to hit our break. Thank you sure, for, for the it, call. Carter. Enjoyed it. Uh, when we come back, Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network here on On the Line.
with Jacob Goertz and Carter Bird on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. You're on the line here in the Auburn Network studio. Carter Bird solo in the show today. Jacob Goins calling some Lee Scott Academy baseball as they take on Springwood on the road. That game's about 33 minutes underway right now on AU100, uh, AU100 FM and uh, 100.3 FM and AU100FM.com and the AU100 app if you want to keep track of that. Uh, we are joined by our normal Monday second hour guest, Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network. Jacob, welcome in, man. How are you? I'm doing well. It's 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 a it's a good Monday with the sun shining and it feels great outside. So hard hard not to have the vibes up today. Yeah, I mean, have you have you gotten any opportunities and with this great weather to get out there on the golf course? I have actually this past weekend. I I didn't I haven't played, but I, I went and hit the range a couple times. So that was that was that was fun and. And Getting really, the, uh, the 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 game dialed yeah. in for your next round. It's not dialed yet. We're getting there though. We're making progress. All right. Well, uh, let's dive into some Auburn athletics. Uh, let's start with baseball because it's it's a grind right now, man. As Auburn is kind of going through it as they drop their second series in a row, uh, or I guess third uh, series in a row as they've lost now their series at Florida. Texas A&M at home and at Alabama. They lost their midweek this past week at Georgia Tech. Jacob, what is the, how does this team need to what, – what, what do they need to do to bounce back here uh, as they look forward to the rest of their season? Yeah, it, it's interesting because this past weekend, the first eight innings of the weekend, I mean, it, it was perfect baseball. It's exactly what you wanted. You got an incredible start out of Tommy Vale. I think it was the best start Auburn's gotten out of anyone this entire season. And uh, and then you get to the ninth inning. Things get a little hairy, but you still pull out the win, so you feel fine after game one. Obviously, game two and three come around, and again, you're not really giving up these monstrous numbers as far as uh, a runs are scored from the other team, but you're still walking uh, walking guys and, and giving up uh, runs that the other team really isn't earning. So I think it's you got to look back at those eight innings and think, all right, what, what worked well and – Obviously, that was Tommy Vale, but uh, even outside of that, I think that you feel pretty good about some of the guys that pitched after him. Tanner Bauman, he, he looked okay for an inning, and then, then he, that ninth inning came around, and things got tough when he started walking guys. So I, I, I really think that we're still just looking at a pitchy staff that's trying to find its confidence and find its groove. And, you know, uh, Coach Thompson said it uh, on This Week in Auburn Baseball with Andy Bertram how, you know, we're getting into it, it now or never. That's what we're seeing uh, for this team. And you get a home series against Mississippi State coming off a big series win over Ole Miss. you got to take advantage this week. Yeah, Auburn is 5-10 and ten in conference play, tied with Mississippi State for that uh, fifth place in the SEC West. Uh, Auburn had a streak going there for a while where, where I think they went 14 games of scoring five-plus runs and then the last two games of the series against Alabama, the offense kind of disappeared. Uh, what happened there, and how can they get back on track there? Yeah, it, it's it's another interesting thing because, again, the first eight innings, you're, you're only up a few runs at first, but then an explosive inning late where Cole Foster hits that home run and, and you've got an 8 nothing lead, and that's exactly what we're used to seeing from this Auburn offense. But then also, there it felt like infinite double plays that Auburn hit into that ended innings and and things like that. So 
that was kind of where I saw the offense fail was all those double plays because obviously you had chances and then those would happen and there goes the chance. So I think that was a little bit of bad luck, but also you're just hitting too many ground balls and um, that's what Alabama pitching wants. They're not this. Their staff, in a way, is is similar to Auburn, where um, they're not 100 percent healthy, but it's just they're, they they've struggled to come along to this point in the year, and um, they're just trying to get out however they can. And and the double play balls were just constantly what they were looking for, and they got them. I feel like nine times out of ten over this past weekend. So uh, the offense is. I think the offense is going to be fine. It, it was the off weekend, your first really off weekend you've had all year, and uh, there's still bright spots on the team. Case and Howell had a solid weekend at the plate, um, and it's really something that you want to see guys like Ike Irish and Bryson Ware get back into that dominant groove they were in because they weren't just playing well. They were dominating at the plate, and um, having them do that again would really help this team's uh, uh, projection. One of the biggest uh, question marks uh, that this team has and really our callers have on on the show talking about Auburn baseball is what's going on with this pitching staff. They're struggling to throw strikes. Uh, there's there's not a lot of, um, I guess, guys that you can consistently rely on. How can they get back on track, and how how soon until we see Joseph Gonzalez back out there? Yeah, and I'll start with Joseph and. We don't know, quite frankly. That 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 is the question, and um, I think last week Coach Thompson talked about how uh, he is making progress, and we could see him in a few weeks. I think last week he said three weeks, so maybe the South Carolina series, maybe LSU. One of the, it, it, he's possibly coming back soon, but it's it's a very fluid situation. It just depends on how he feels. Um, so there's really no uh, set time for him to come back. Now, as far as the pitching staff trying to find his confidence and and get into it you know i think you've got to look at some of these guys are are young but the guys that aren't uh your tommy Vales and tommy Sheehan are the ones that i think need to take charge and and be the ones that uh can really uh lead the charge into the rest of the season where you make up a lot of ground uh your tommy Vales because he has been consistently good and obviously his his performance this past weekend was the best we've seen all year. Tommy Sheehan is just back from injury, so um, if he can find a groove like he did in the postseason last year, then there's another solid arm that you can either start or use as your anchor in the bullpen. Now, there have been other guys that have really performed well. Zach Crossfelt, look what he did in Game 2. That was really impressive, and uh, Coach Thompson said that was the best we've seen. It was kind of like his coming-out party. Um, so to say this past weekend. So uh, having him be able to do that potentially puts him in uh, contention for a starting role. And if you do that, then you have two starters, potentially with Gonzalez coming back, that's three. And um, that's, that's two lefties, one righty. That's a solid rotation. Now, as far as the rest of the bullpen goes, again, it's all about the confidence in these guys, knowing that, you know what, it's okay to get hit around a little bit. But it's much better than walking a million guys, uh, <laughs> giving free runs. So um, I, I think that's what it is. Because there are bright spots. Will Cannon, um, last weekend wasn't really what we usually are used to seeing from him, but he has had some really strong outings throughout the season. John Armstrong, the same thing. Christian uh, Herberholz, he's the same way. And 
I just think that there are there are pieces. They just all have to come together. And and again, like Coach Thompson said, it, it, it's it's now or never. That that's what the point is uh, that he's trying to get across to his team. Yeah, just how critical I guess is is this next week with Sanford and these three games against Mississippi State because we know. Just the top 12 in the conference go to Hoover. Right now, Auburn is, uh-huh. is flirting with the bottom of the league. 5-10 uh, and 10 puts them tied with Mississippi State, uh, Missouri, and Tennessee, surprisingly. Uh, very interesting to see that team right, right there. A uh, couple games ahead of Ole Miss for 14th and a game ahead of Georgia. They do have that tiebreaker with them. But with this big series coming up against Mississippi State, a team you're tied with in the West, how important is it? to get this turned around, especially because your two series after that are at a really good South Carolina team and against everybody's preseason number one team, LSU at home. Well, that's exactly why this weekend is ultra important and you need to get it. Uh, Mississippi State this year has has fallen off a little bit. Five and ten. Yeah, this past weekend, obviously that series went against Ole Miss. You never Jacob, I would I would argue that Mississippi State's taken a step forward from last year. <laughs> well, my bad. My bad. From last year, yes, but uh, <laughs> in the past few weeks, I was thinking more so the Ole Miss uh, setback. But right, they're still not up to that national championship standard from two years ago, and and they started off slow, have picked it up a little bit, but. I mean, it's one of those things where you look at the next two weeks, like you said, South Carolina and LSU, man, those are two tough teams. I think South Carolina is probably a top-two team in the SEC this year. I mean, what they did uh, these past few weeks have been, has been really strong, and I'm looking forward to watching them play over the last several weeks of the season. So I think this, this upcoming weekend is huge because, like you said, getting to Hoover, you're going to be contending with Mississippi State for a spot in Hoover, and um, now, obviously, Georgia and Ole Miss, they kind of fall back in the pack, then that's that's irrelevant. But you do want to vie for seeding in Hoover and Mississippi State, Missouri, Tennessee are the teams that you're going to be contending with there. And uh, getting this series with help with a tiebreaker and just kind of puts you a step ahead of some of those other teams. And I, I just think that's so important and, and build some confidence because uh, you can't expect to win the series at South Carolina or against LSU if you have no momentum going into them, but you have to have the expectation that you're going to grab one of those games in each series so that you can just continue to grind out this SEC schedule. Softball had a big week this past week as they took down Troy and then went on, or actually they were at home, rather. They were at home against number 13 LSU and took two out of three. They're now 9-6 and six in the SEC in a three-way tie for third in the league. Uh, just how much of a confidence booster was this past week? Uh, and when you look forward to JSU this week and then uh, at Alabama, a team that they're tied with for third in the league, uh, just how big was this past weekend and uh, how big is this upcoming week as well? It's massive because uh, this past weekend, it, it just you've got to get all the home series that you can. Uh, Auburn's won each home series that's played this season and and continue that against a top 15 LSU team, a team that was in the top 10 in the RPI. Auburn's up to 22 in the RPI, which is a big deal because if you go to Tuscaloosa and you grab two games there, you are in the discussions for hosting an NCAA regional. Now, that is a must where you get that Alabama series uh, to be able to be in that discussion, but it's just it, it's something that Auburn hasn't been in position for in, in, in several years, and, and – uh, 
Auburn hasn't been to Alabama since 2017 either, and that was kind of the last time that Auburn was, you know, consistently hosting regionals. And uh, Auburn's been in regionals in four straight years under Coach Dean, but it's all about taking that next step and hosting a regional, going to a super. And and this team has the pitching for it. If the offense comes alive, then there's a chance there as well. We saw on Friday night um, different ways to score runs, a couple home runs, and then um, a nice inning where there's a rally. Now the offense kind of slowed down a little bit throughout the weekend, but um, it, it's just one of those things where it's home run or nothing, and if this team can figure out a way to rally together innings, then the offense will come there. When you look at the softball team and the way that they have played this year and the way that they're uh, kind of approaching the discussion for for potentially hosting a regional what has been the key to their success, and and what have they what have they relied on week in and week out to to help them go out there and get key wins? Well, the easy answer is Maddie Pinta. I mean mm-hmm. that that is she is she is the best pitcher in the SEC. If she might, you can make the argument for Montana Fouts and Alabama, and this weekend will be a very fun pitching matchup to watch between those two when they go at it. But uh, that that's really the, the easy answer because she's pitching on Fridays and Sundays and Auburn. So far this year, it's win Friday, win Sunday. And, and it's, what I'll say is it's all about finding the groove in that middle game. And this week, you saw Shelby Lowe start from the left side, and she had what I would say was one of her best outings of the season. She came on, she's coming off an injury in the offseason, and she's working her way back to 100% still. And she looked really good on, on Saturday. And Annabelle Weiser came in relief, and she looked good as well. And we just had some really stellar outings so far. So, it's really about this pitching staff and, and finding those second and third key options. Emma Ross, she's a freshman. She hasn't gotten a lot of playing time, but when he gets into NCAA tournament time and postseason play, she's going to have to play a factor. So mm-hmm. I think really just showing support for Maddie Pinta, whether it's Shelby Lowe, Annabelle Weiser, or Emma Rolfe, that has been the key for Auburn so far this year because, sure, Maddie Pinta's gotten most of the wins, but Lowe and Weiser have come through in critical times uh, when Auburn's needed them. So having that continue can really help this team elevate to the next level. How big of a statement would it be for this softball program, uh, their next two series against number 13 Alabama and number 25 South Carolina, both on the road, how big of a statement would it be to go win both of those series? Well, yeah, yeah. if you win both of those series, then you're you're really starting to lock yourself into um, a host spot and really into kind of a top-12 seed because this is the SEC. The respect that the NCAA committee is going to have for running through a gauntlet like that is high. And then you're also going to end up with a very high speed. You're already third in the SEC standings. And if you win these next two series, you're, you're going to be close to getting to second. Now, Tennessee and Georgia, they're up there. They're, they've separated themselves, and Georgia has a tiebreaker over Auburn. But you're at least going to close the gap and you're going to start to lock yourself into a top four seed and get that uh, get that buy in the SEC tournament. So that would be just monumental for this program and and getting a host spot. Jacob, appreciate it, man. Where can everybody keep track of you and everything y'all have got going on at the Auburn Sports Network? Yeah, follow me on Twitter at Jacob Hillman AU. I'll be on the call for softball Wednesday against Jacksonville State. That game is set for six o'clock Central. We're on the air. 545 on with J.J. Jackson, and then I'll be going to Tuscaloosa with Brett Bowen uh, for this weekend series. 8 p.m., 3 p.m., and 11.30 a.m. Central are the first pitches for that weekend. Awesome, Jacob. Appreciate it, man. We will talk to you next week. Thank you, guys. War Eagle. Appreciate it.
That was Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network. We need to hit our final break of hour number two. When we come back, we will wrap up the show and get you set for the drive. You are on the line on ESPN 1067. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Welcome back to On the Line, the Monday edition as we wrap up the show here. Uh, great show today. We had some Braves audio to lead us off. Talked a little bit of the Atlanta Braves. Then talked some of the transfer portal uh, as that is really starting to get rolling as Actually, in the last couple of minutes, Christian Clemente of Auburn 247, our good buddy and friend here on the program, uh, he just tweeted out that Auburn has offered Anthony Campbell, uh, the defensive end from Louisiana Monroe, who is in the transfer portal, six foot seven, 277-pound junior. Doesn't have a lot of production, but apparently has offers from uh, Michigan and West Virginia right now. So that's an impressive group of offers for a guy doesn't have the most productive production so far. Uh, it'll be interesting to see that that kind of goes in line with what we were talking about earlier with Jeffrey Emba hitting the portal. Auburn needs to go get a defensive lineman. Auburn needs to uh, get not only a defensive lineman, in my mind, an edge rusher as well, a jack, somebody that can fill that position, somebody that can be depth behind uh, Keldrick Falk and Elijah McAllister, or maybe, maybe if you could get just an absolute stud, you get you get somebody who can start there and make life easier on those guys. I think that that's critical for this Auburn team moving into 2023. Uh, Auburn's going to continue to add guys. I think you're going to see Auburn add eight, nine guys in the portal, uh, and depending on how many people go out the door, because I guess you can't predict with 100% certainty who all is going to be in the portal and not. There will be some that there may be a conversation that is like, hey, man, you may need to look elsewhere for some playing time because it may not happen here. You're not in the plans for 2023 and beyond. You don't fit the scheme, whatever you want to call it. There may be some of those conversations. I think those conversations will take place this week from what I've heard. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see who all who all's going out the door for Auburn and who all is coming in the door. I think we're going to hear plenty of news on that over the next uh, 12 days or so as these, this portal period kind of winds down, these thir- 13 days, rather. Um, but, yeah, and then we had a great conversation with Jacob Hillman about Auburn baseball and Auburn softball, two, two seasons kind of trending in opposite directions. Uh, Auburn baseball is kind of going through it. they got to get back on track this week. Uh, they've got Samford, and then they've got a home series against Mississippi State. Auburn softball has Jacksonville State, and they're at Alabama in a big series that would uh, do a lot for their their hopes of of hosting a regional for the first time in a while here at Auburn. Um, it's been we we've we've talked a lot about Auburn football, uh, the need to go add a quarterback. I still think that that's going to be the most talked about thing with Auburn football. Uh, as we continue to see players enter the portal, I expect the football portal to get a lot more chaotic sometime soon. Didn't really get much into basketball today. We'll get more into that tomorrow. 
uh, as the transfer portal is still very active there. Uh, just ask Eric Musselman and Arkansas as they've now added, I believe, five players via the portal as he continues to turn over that roster like nothing I've ever seen from from year to year. I mean, it's amazing that he's able to have any success and I think at some point you're going to see luck kind of run out and there's going to be a bad year where it does not go his way. But, uh, yeah, Auburn still needs to add. They have open scholarships. They're going to add some people. Uh, there's also, I mean, you got a position on staff that you need to fill. Uh, as Justin Hokinson of Auburn Live had a post about that today. We'll talk more about that tomorrow. But that's going to do it for today's episode of On the Line. Appreciate you riding solo with me here today. Tomorrow, we should be back at full strength with Jacob Goins back in the studio. We'll see you all then. And, uh, yeah, enjoy the drive coming up next.